Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Three weeks ago, overwhelmed by our Lord's grace, love, and mercy, what began with the rescuing thunder of Easter Day moved into the great 50 days which follow. So I have to ask you, how consciously have you thought about the resurrection since then, other than while sitting here in church? Does the wonder of it and the power of it ever enter your mind at times apart from being prompted to do so? I hope and pray that because of the grace, love, and mercy shown to you, the Son's crucifixion and resurrection have continued to roll through your lives on a daily basis. Admittedly, the hearts and minds and lives which have Christ's atoning death and miraculous return to life in their forefronts may be in the overwhelming minority in our nation, in our culture, and in our world. But even such lives as recognize and trust in the reality of our rescue in Jesus are constantly being distracted as the shiny and sparkly things of this world's false gods work their temptations upon us. Still, those rescued lives, they are our lives. The lives of the Lord's baptized people. His Holy Spirit steadily drenches us with the realities of His crucifixion and His resurrection. He ensures that the great 50 days in which we now find ourselves will dominate all the other days of the year. Our drenching occurs first here in the church so that it might reach out and then finally spill out into the world around us. As we look into today's Gospel lesson, we see far in advance of the actual events the extraordinary gifts of our Lord's dying and His rising again. We, His people splashed by the water of the Son's life, we belong to Him. We pay close attention to Him. The Son knows us, His people, richly and deeply. As His sheep, we seek to follow Him. The Son gives us eternal life, and we will never be lost even when it appears that we are lost. But there is no one, no threat, no entity, no reality that can steal us away from the Son. The Father who has given us to the Son is greater than anyone, and no one can steal us from the Father either. And the Father and the Son are so perfectly united in will and in purpose that all of the works of God echo their voices in creation, in our salvation, and in the holiness that the Spirit gives us. The Son's dying and rising again for the people of the world is an extraordinary gift. Through the four holy gifts of baptism in the Scriptures, through the absolution and the supper, that larger and eternal gift rolls into our lives and throws its weight around. And all of this occurs while the world continues to seek to draw us away from our baptisms into its view of life a life that is full of argument and distortions, 
a life of self-absorption and of rebellion and of all sorts of evil and all sorts of false realities that are draped in very attractive ways. As the Lord's Scriptures and His sacraments roll through our, our lives, though, and His life gets reflected to others through our own lives, we do have to ask ourselves something. Is He actually the Messiah? The Christ? The Anointed One? The Savior who was marked from all eternity for crucifixion and resurrection? This question has to be asked today because it is floating around from those Jews crowding around Jesus in today's Gospel lesson. These very religious and seemingly faithful Jews are at the Feast of Dedication. They were remembering how the Lord God restored sacred worship in the Jerusalem temple through Judas Maccabeus and his followers known as the Maccabees. Nearly 200 years before our Lord's ministry, in 163 B.C., in fact, the Syrians had profaned the Jerusalem temple. They had erected one of their idols, a, a Middle Eastern version of the Greek god Zeus, on the temple grounds. And they'd also desecrated the temple by sacrificing pigs there and allowing them to wander into the most holy place. But after three years of this disrespectful and profaning activity, Judas Maccabeus and his followers drove the Syrians out. A new altar was built, and the temple was rededicated. And so the Jewish people crowding around Jesus in today's events are remembering that historic event. It always took place in the month of December by our calendar, and it resonates still among observant Jews today. We might now know it as Hanukkah. This Jewish feast is a feast of renewal, the literal meaning of the word dedication. Now it's helpful to note here that just before this conversation, when the Jewish people asked Jesus if He is the Christ, Jesus had been describing Himself as the Good Shepherd. And this puts Him on familiar ground with His questioners. They know that there are frequent references to shepherds in the Old Testament. David, Israel's most significant and important king, is a shepherd himself and was often referred to as a shepherd of his people even after he became king. And many of Israel's future kings are also referred to with the same imagery. Jesus' teachings and His comments to His questioners suggest that He may indeed be that future King, the Shepherd who would be the Messiah. Now the reason that His questioners demand that Jesus make His remarks more clear is that they understand the Messiah in one way, but He is describing the Messiah in another way. When they wonder why He is keeping them in suspense, the literal meaning of the Greek phrase that is recorded there is, why are you taking away our breath of life? As John's Gospel account unfolds here, it reminds us that although Jesus lays down His life for those who follow Him, He also provokes judgment. And He takes away not just His Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life as we confess Him, but He also takes away the very lives of those who reject Him. 
See, Jesus' questioners are thinking of the Messiah only in self-understanding ways, in political ways. They are looking for a shepherd king who will drive the Romans out and restore their country to a place of prominence in the world. Jesus, on the other hand, as the Old Testament prophets had had revealed to them, sees the shepherd king as the Lord's servant, the one who will break the hold on that unholy trinity of sin, Satan, and death, the hold that it has on the people, and he would provide them with his gift of eternal life instead. It is these differences in understanding that cause the questioners to demand of Jesus that he tell them plainly if he is the Messiah. And in his response to them, he he does not explode in anger or get frustrated. Instead, he simply points them to all of the miraculous actions and works that he's been doing throughout his ministry as indicators that he is no ordinary man, no everyday shepherd, no run-of-the-mill king. No, these works have been very powerful ones, giving the people glimpses of the soon-to-be-crucified and resurrected life in Christ. But these questioners cannot see that the Messiah's path to glory must first run through a valley of suffering and death before reaching the pinnacle of power. Heavenly power, that is, not earthly power. And that's because they are dominated by their own way of thinking. Jesus knows and Jesus explains exactly why they cannot see and why they cannot understand. It's because they are not among His sheep. Although they they may claim to be part of it by blood, they are no longer truly a part of His covenant people. For they have abandoned that agreement for things of their own choosing. It is in this reality that explains why we, the few, see ourselves continuing to be drenched with the realities of the Lord's crucifixion and His resurrection. And why others, the many, continue to be wrapped up in just their own lives. Not realizing or acknowledging that their lives and all the gifts of creation that they enjoy flow only from God's love and His character and His eternal promises. The the world believes that each person's life is his or her own to do with as he or she chooses. But the world takes the place where God would come daily to be worshipped, to be confessed, and to be served through our neighbor, and they sweep His presence out. The void then gets backfilled with gods of their own making. You see, in the world's view, it is not vital whether or not people belong to the Son and listen to Him. For them, it is better to pay attention to oneself or to listen to those they respect or at least those they find interesting. In the world's view, it is not vital whether or not people are known by the Son. For them, it is better to follow one's own knowledge and one's own instincts. In the world's view, it is not vital that anyone receive the Son's eternal life. It is better to work up the life that one desires for oneself in the here and now. In the world's view, it is not vital whether or not people can be stolen from the Son. It is better to protect oneself from potential theft. In the world's view, it is not vital whether or not the Father is greater than anyone else or greater than any reality. It's best to make sure we can take care of ourselves. 
And in the world's view, it is not important whether anyone can be stolen from the Father either. It is better to concentrate on any risk that others may be able to steal from us. In the world's view, it is not vital that the Father and the Son are one or not. It's better to concentrate on the gods that we can create and we can maintain. You see, the world always thinks that it can stride into those places where the Lord God is worshipped and sweep away those places of His presence and fill them with their own gods. But in this, the world is completely wrong. Three weeks ago, the crucifixion and resurrection of God's Son blew the world's life away, judging it to be in error and sentencing such thoughts to death. Three weeks ago, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit thundered their eternal presence back into the world. Now, it is true that such a blessed eternal life is intersecting with only those of us who are among the few, those who are humbled, those who believe and are baptized. But this life is an extraordinary gift, one that bursts into the world through the Son's cross and rescues people who are caught up in the grip of that unholy trio. The few, those humbled and baptized, are exultant, exuberant, and enthusiastic that they get to celebrate these great 50 days of Easter. Because of the Lord's grace, love, and mercy to you, you see that the Son truly is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the One marked for crucifixion and resurrection. While many in the world question the identity of the Son, almost as many reject not only His Messiahship, but also His divinity. But we are His remnant. We are the sheep of His flock who hear His voice and respond accordingly. We are still among the few who are full of gratitude and faith. The few who are delighted to reflect the Son's Easter life in our own lives and to share its message of salvation and joy and hope to those who are still today asking questions about Him. So rejoice in the remaining days of Easter. Hear your shepherd's voice as he brings you his word to your hurting and empty and painful heart. Speak plainly of him who is the Christ and find great comfort in the miracle of his resurrection, a seal of God's great promise of eternal life to all who believe on his name. You cannot be snatched out of the Father's hand, neither now, neither in eternity, for Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.